Thursday, November 29th, 2018. And for those of you who don't know or or don't follow me on any social media, my father passed away two weeks ago today. And I know my last podcast, I said I don't know when I'll be back to podcasting, but I decided that it's time to get back to podcasting. It's been two weeks. I've pretty much gone through the grieving process, and um, I guess I'm ready to come back to podcasting. And just bear with me today, because I'll probably just tell the story of my father's passing and um, let it go at that. But and then I'll and then I'll get past it, and we'll get back to regular podcasting. But so, you know, for those people who don't know the whole story, unless well, I probably told a lot of it last time. But mid October, my father started getting ill. And I went down to visit him. To visit him, and at that time he was still talking and uh, walking around and uh, relatively normal. Although he was in some pain, um, he was doing, I would just say, okay. Then um, I guess it was uh, a month ago or so. Um, he had a. Well, he went into the hospital because he had some breathing issues. So he, they took him to the hospital, and then he spent four days in the hospital and was diagnosed with congestive heart failure. And that is, um, like his heart was only pumping 35% of the blood that it could pump. And um, basically that meant that he was dying. So um, I went down to visit him for three days at that time, and... When I the first day I got there, he was still aware of what was going on. He could um, talk some, but not much. He was more mumbling, and they had him on pain medication and as well as a whole bunch of other medications to maybe deal with the other stuff that was going on. Um, and in those three days, not much changed, and um, like they had him. A, he was at that time. He was. Um, put under hospice care, which, you know, of course, hospice means that you are at end of life. And I think I described that all in the last podcast. But um, so anyway, I I left after three days and um, he was just kind of like laying in the hospital bed and just kind of um, waiting to die. I think I even said that on the last podcast. Well, then I went back the next week on a Monday and things had dramatically changed. Like he was not um, aware of what was going on. He could barely um, make any gestures to let us know that he either needed you know, food or water or um, changing because at, at this point he was in a diaper. Um, quality of life had dropped dramatically. And at that point, it was really like we're just waiting for, um, for him to die. And so I was there for four, five days, Monday through Friday that week, and I was pretty much there all the time. Uh, I had an older brother there and an older sister there, well, two older sisters there, and we were all kind of like taking turns, um, spending time with him, and uh, well, when when he would, feed him some food, but I think after that first day, that Monday, he stopped eating. No, it, would be, it was before that. Um, I'm not going to get my calendar straight, but I think when I had gotten there on that Monday, he wasn't eating at all. He was just taking, uh, he was drinking water and a, just a tiny bit of coffee, and which is, you know, very typical for him because he loved his coffee. He drank, he drank coffee uh, pretty much 24-7. 
But anyway, so um, the week just kind of like progressed with him slowly getting worse and worse and uh, stopped reacting to anything by, I think, that Tuesday and was just laying in the bed uh, breathing because he was on oxygen and not taking any food and barely taking any liquids at all. Um, and they had him, they pretty much stopped all the medications except for the pain medication. So he was on Ativan and morphine every three hours. So, um, like it would rotate one, one time it was Ativan, then three hours later, morphine, then three hours Ativan. And they kept that up until the end. But, um, so it came to the point where it was, um, Wednesday night and it was my turn to stay the night because we had been taking turns staying the night with him and you know being there when the nurses come into because uh, they were also rolling him in the bed so that he wouldn't get bed sores and they were doing that every three hours as well so anyway that night it was my turn to stay and um, we were uh, also counting his respirations like every every time they came and do give him medication we would count how many respirations he would have in a minute and I, I guess I can, if I can remember correctly it was something like 18 to 24 is like a normal um, person's respirations well my dad started out at like 18 and which is of course on the low side and then that night he dropped down to 13 at one point and then I when the um, night nurse came in to um, give him his medication of Ativan, I said, can you go ahead and give him morphine as well? Because um, his respirations are uh, dropping down and he's really um, not gasping for air, but he was struggling or um, working really hard to get air into his lungs. So she said, absolutely, because the morphine is um, on an as-needed basis. You can request it whenever you want. So um, she gave him Ativan and morphine. And um, I think that was at like maybe two o'clock in the morning. I don't have my, I, we kept a notebook of everything that they were doing and what time they were doing it so that we would just have a record. And, um, you know, let me pause for a second and grab that notebook. Okay, so I'm looking at the notebook, this, um, the, the big changes started at 1030 on the 14th. And um, when they came in and turned him, uh, the lady, the one of the night nurses was um, checking his feet and his feet were really cold. Well, at 11 o'clock that night, they um, came in and gave him morphine. And then at 1.30, they came in to turn him. And um, he was, uh, I wrote down that he was down to 13 respirations and his feet were still cold, even though the room was like 75 degrees because, you know, he likes his heat. Then at 2.20 is when they, 2.20 a.m., they gave him Ativan and morphine, and that brought his respirations up to 16. And then at 3.39 a.m., they came in to check him, and his respirations were at 17. And he was, um, like, moving his mouth to get air, to get, you know, to breathe. Um, and I knew that it was, it, it, I knew it was coming to an end very soon. Well, at 4.40 a.m., he had dropped back down to 13 respirations. And um, then at 5 a.m., they came in to change him and to move him. And uh, no medication at that time, but um, 
I did the water swab. They have these little sponges on the end of these sticks and you can dip them into water and then like wet, wet his lips and um, maybe drip a drop or two of water in his mouth. So I did that and I was counting the respirations and it was down to nine respirations and I thought, oh, this is the lowest it's been. Um, you know, I really, you know, just have to keep watching closely. So, and the whole night I am staying up. I, I, I didn't sleep at all. I was just um, sitting there with my dad watching him. And then at um, 5.18, I decided to do respirations again and I was counting them and I only got to six and then he passed away. Um, his chest stopped moving and um, mouth stopped moving and and I was like, I think he's dead. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of morbid talking about this, but I'm just like relaying my experience with this whole thing. And so at that point, I'm like, I think he's dead. I I, I wasn't, you know, it's, it's weird because um, I was the only one in the room, I mean, only one there at all. And I was like, I, I don't know if he's actually dead. I can't, I mean, he, his chest has stopped moving, but I, I can't tell. So I put my ear down to his mouth and I couldn't hear anything. And, and I held my hand on his chest and couldn't feel anything, but I didn't want to, you know, start making phone calls that he had died until I knew for sure that he had passed away. So I went down to the nurse's station and I said, I think my father has passed away, but I, I am not 100% sure. Can you, you know, help me? And she grabbed the this little um, uh, pulse indicator thing that you put on their, their finger, and it um, measures oxygen and um, pulse. So she brought it down to the room, and she put it on his finger, and there was absolutely no activity whatsoever, no pulse, no um, oxygen, nothing like that. So she said, well, I'm not allowed to um, pronounce someone dead, but... By all indications, it would seem that he has passed away. So I was like, okay, well, if, if you feel that and I feel that, then I need to start making phone calls. So um, I I just, you know, said my little goodbyes, and um, which I had been saying for four days. I mean, we knew that he was going to die. It was just a matter of time. So each time one of my brothers and sisters was in the room with him, we all, you know, said, it's okay, Dad, you can go, that kind of thing. Um but um, anyway, so then I was like, I got to get it together and um, call my brothers and sisters because they had all gone to their hotels for the night. So I called my oldest sister first and then she started calling my other brothers and sisters who were not um, in Charlottesville with us. And then I called my um, my, old, my other sister who was there, my other brother who was there, who they were both in hotels. And... Um, now that morning they were having bad weather there. It was um, like freezing rain and ice, and um, so the weather was really bad. So people were not traveling. So once I called them, they said, "Well, we'll probably wait until daylight to drive over to the uh, assisted living facility because I don't, you know, don't want to have an accident on the way over." I said, "Absolutely, just you know, do what you need to do." So then I called the hospice people, and they um, called a an RN to come and do the actual pronouncing that he was dead. And, but that guy was like an hour away and with the weather. So, um, it was just me and my dad, um, for like an hour and a half <laughs> waiting for them to come and pronounce him dead. It was, I know it's very morbid, but 
you know, this is life, I guess, you know, you have to deal with these things. So I was just kind of sitting there with him. Um, nobody came into the room. The nurses didn't come in and check on him. The, once I had told them at the nurse's desk, they pretty much stopped all the care. Um, so it was like 7 a.m., maybe a little bit before that. No, it was a little bit. It was like 6.45. My brother showed up. And then right behind him was the um, hospice nurse who came in and, you know, listened to listen for a heartbeat, try to uh, get a pulse, that kind of thing. And um, I, don't, I don't really know what all he did. He was it was a male nurse. And he said, um, OK, your father has passed away and I'm going to pronounce him dead at it was like 6.59 a.m. Um, even though I know that he had passed away at 5.18 a.m., but that can't, that wasn't, couldn't be official. It had to be uh, official by somebody who was, you know, with the hospice program. Anyway, so he pronounced him dead, and then um, he called the funeral home and made arrangements to them for them to come and pick him up. So I didn't have to do any of that part, which was good, because I, I didn't know if I could handle that part. But um, it was about, I don't know, probably 45 minutes later that the funeral home showed up and they were so um, graceful and dignified in um, taking my father's body out. I mean, like they wrapped him up in blankets. They had a pillow under his head. They they did a really good job, I would say. But I, I, I will say that once they started to wheel him out, I, I lost it. My brother and I both lost it. We were crying like babies. <laughs> but anyway... Um, so then um, my uh, sister, my other sister showed up and we told them the story and all that. And, oh, I also had to sign the, um, the uh, I forget what the form is, that releases the body to the funeral home. So I did that. Then um, my, brothers, uh, my other sister showed up, as I said. And then my, my one sister, who is kind of um, money-oriented, said, well, since he's gone and the, he's been taken to the funeral home, let's go ahead and clear out his room. Maybe we can get a, a refund on the rest of the rent for the month. And I was just like, you are so cold. She was, she's been a bitch about the money thing. I don't know if I mentioned that or not, but she's just been horrible about the saving money thing. For and when, when all we wanted to do was just give him whatever he needed to be comfortable and peaceful and pain-free until he dies. So, And he was. It was very peaceful. He was pain-free. There was no drama with that. It was just a very quiet, last breath kind of thing. And anyway, so, um, forgive me. I know I probably shouldn't be podcasting this, but what the hell. So anyway, the, the rest of the day went on. We cleaned out his cleaned out his room and packed up all his stuff. And then um, we... By this time, it was like noon, and we went to lunch and um, talked about, you know, what steps we need to do and all that kind of stuff. It was a little bit of a somber lunch, but then we went and met at the um, funeral home, met with the funeral director, and because um, my father was not having a funeral. He just wanted to be cremated and his ashes disposed of. He didn't want to be buried anywhere. He didn't want to have any kind of grave marker or anything where people could go visit him that kind of thing that's that was just not that was those were not his wishes and actually he spelled them out pretty clearly in his will and we had a copy of the will for the funeral home to see that this is actually what he wanted but they told us that the funeral home cannot um, dispose of ashes 
and so that we would either have to take them or or do something else. And he said, since your father was a um, Korean War veteran, um, they have a program where anonymously they'll take the ashes and they will bury them in in a national cemetery somewhere in Virginia, and it, he will have a marker on on the gravestone. But the anonymous part is that they don't tell us the family where he's going to be buried. And I thought, well, you know, that's, you know, overall not what he wanted, but it will do, uh, you know, in terms of us not knowing where he's going to be. But then I realized that because it's going to be in a national cemetery and with a military kind of um, uh, marker on it or whatever, that that's going to be in some registry somewhere. And in like 30 days, 30 30 to 45 days, he'll be on some list that you can search on the internet and find out exactly where he is. So, and that's fine. You know, I may actually do some research and find out where he is and go visit him. I don't know. I, is this not, cause it's not what he wanted, but you know, for, I guess, um, as they say, funerals are for the living, not for the dead. So, um, anyway, so now it's two weeks later and I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing much better. I would say, but I am still, um, you know, cry from time to time. Like I'm trying not to right now. And I don't even know why I'm crying because my father told us, you know, he just wants to go peacefully. Just, you know, no drama, no, you know, say your goodbyes early. When he was conscious, we talked and, um, you know, said our goodbyes and our love yous and stuff like that. So I don't know why I still get upset about it, but I do. But today and just about an hour or so, I am actually going to, luckily through Kaiser, we have um, uh, like mental health kind of things. You can go and um, talk to somebody. So I'm going to go today and talk to somebody and just, you know, just um, tell them why I'm sad. Anyway, I've taken out a lot of pauses in this podcast, but, and, and this is probably the most emotional podcast I've done, and you'll have to just forgive me, but I'll get past it, and I'll get back to being my normal self eventually. But I did want to say a big thank you to everyone who has reached out and and asked me how I've been doing, and um, am I okay, and I've gotten cards in the mail, and uh, messages, and emails, and um, just yesterday, Frederick um, asked me on Facebook how I was doing, and I thought that was so sweet. People are, are so nice. But, you know, you you do move past this stuff, and I'm going to move past it. I'm going to stop this crying and move past it. Because people die, and you know that. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this up now, and just thank you for listening, and and I will be back to my normal chat about politics and stuff, and, and I will get over it. So um, thank you for listening, and until next time, bye. Bye.